This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Justin Mills is a rancher in northeastern Wyoming and the host of the Working Ranch radio show and podcast. That role has him talking to ranchers throughout the nation, and we get his thoughts on what he is hearing in cattle country and where the beef industry may be headed. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. Where are prices headed? Can you maintain margins with high volatility in grain and input markets? There is certainly uncertainty. But in these times, Pivot Bio Proven 40 is working to provide you a certain source of nitrogen, up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen, in fact. And that nitrogen stays put, whether or not, as Pivot Bio Proven's molecules attach to the roots of the corn plant. In a time in which margins can be tight and more sustainable farming methods are more than a buzzword, it's time to look at Pivot Bio. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Just go to pivotbio.com. I first met Justin Mills about 25 years ago in the state of Wyoming. He was a state FFA officer at the time, hailing from a ranch in the northeastern part of the state. Justin not only was active in the family's farming operations, but he also got involved in broadcasting, working for the Northern Ag Network out of Billings for several years. I had the chance to visit with him on several occasions at our annual broadcaster meetings in Kansas City. Today our lives are somewhat similar. Farm and ranch kids who continue to be active in the family's operation, yet both of us keep a presence in the broadcast industry. Justin is the perfect person to share some insights on the beef industry. Not only does he live it, but he's constantly interviewing folks about it. Here's our conversation. Justin Mills is my guest. Justin is a rancher from northeastern Wyoming at the X-Ring Ranch. I've known Justin uh, for several years, but it's good to connect uh, back with him again. Justin, tell me a little bit about uh, the ranch out there, because I believe you're on the in-laws ranch, but you aren't far away from where you grew up and ranched as well out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're. I'm on. So the ranch that I'm on now is my wife's folks's place, and it's been in their family for over a hundred years. It's what they call in Wyoming, and other states have the same thing, a centennial ranch. And so it was her great grandpa, my wife's great grandpa, that homesteaded on this ranch here, and and so we're still here running the running the ranch. We leased the ranch from my wife's folks who wanted to step back several years ago. We were in Billings, Montana, for 15 years, and then moved back here in 2000. 2013 and began leasing the place and so it sits about 30 miles as the crow flies directly south of where i was raised i was raised on a ranch just that sits south of devil's tower wyoming about nine miles and that's literally my how i'm in the ranch where i was raised would be if anybody's ever been through the black hills of wyoming or south dakota my the where the ranch where i grew up is in the black hills of of, of wyoming where we're at now literally my house sets like if I look out and want about a hundred yards outside of my front yard, it just goes into flat plains, open country. So when I say I live on the edge of the Black Hills, I literally live on the edge of the Black Hills. 
So what is the ranching there then like? Are you dealing with, is it kind of forest type land then? Because you mentioned the Black Hills. How's the ranching there? So the ranching here in Upton, uh, we do have, which people say, well, that's funny that you have National Forest Service and it's just, it's flat. It's it's actually what they would call the, the uh, Thunder Basin National Grasslands, which is managed by the U.S. Forest Service. So we have some of that, not a lot. We're mostly deeded, deeded area uh, for us here on, on our ranch, but it's it's just flat. There's um, the area here, the, the soil makeup has a lot of clay in it. And so in years ago and there still is some bit night mining around here so our our the soil holds a lot of water but um so so it's sagebrushy um you know grass uh hard grass you know for summer in summertime and so that's kind of what we see here in, in that um a few live water creeks that run through the place but you know i wouldn't say we just have a, an abundance of water so what kind of stocking rates can, will you have there well, you know what we figure typically in this area, it's, it's interesting because when I talk with folks like back in your country in the Midwest and, and you know, like, yeah, I know, I think you're out of Missouri, correct? Still, is that where you're at? Right. So, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it was interesting several years ago, I went to a school down in Oklahoma and, and they're talking about stocking rates of pounds per acre. And we're like, what do you mean pounds per acre? What's that mean out here? I mean, when, when I roughly figure to start figuring out things, I'm looking at 30 to 35, somewhere's of 40 acres to run a cow. That's what we, that's kind of how we figure it out here. So it's, you know, that's, that's the stocking rates that we kind of look at. And so, you know, if you're going to do any sort of, um, you know, very traditional grazing would be, you know, you turn the cattle into a pasture for 30 days or so, and then you come back and get them or you move them and things like that. That still happens. And there's some forest country that that doesn't really allow the ease of sale grazing where you could, you know, get these cattle moving through in, a, in some sort of a rotation through the course of that same pasture. Because in this forest country where you got a lot of, lot of topography, a lot of timber, a lot of valleys and, or canyons and various things, it's tougher to, to do that, those kinds of things out here in the flats where I'm at, I can do a little bit more of that. And so we try to sail graze as much as we can. And, and I will take, oh, I'll take a, a, a herd, you know, that will move through about 300 pairs. And I try to run at about a cow to the acre on those cells on those sale grazings and try to move through some of these larger, these larger pastures that way and do the best we can. I mean, it's, it's, it's better than traditional. I mean, it's not mob grazing by any means, but it is a method of trying to improve and, and keep that, keep over grazing from happening as much as possible. So the land you're grazing then, is that all owned or do you have leases with the forest service or a combination? A combination. Yeah, mostly, mostly the land we're on is, is, is deeded to my wife's folks, you know, folks, but we do have a little bit of, of land that's, that we lease some from her aunt and uncle. And then we do have a little bit, I think we have a couple, 3000 acres of forest service that we um, lease as well. So there's not much there with that. And, and so much out here in the West of some of the government land, whether you're talking U.S. Forest Service or whether you're talking 
uh, Bureau of Land, BLM land, or even state land, uh, which Wyoming has state, what we call school sections that are owned by the state. Um, you know, a lot of that land is so intermingled with deeded. And in, in some cases, it's not fenced out. It's just, you, I mean, it, now today's technology with our phones and, and a little app called Onyx, people kind of know where they're standing, if they're standing in deeded or if they're standing on public land. But back in the day, people never knew. I mean, was I, were, was I standing on Forest Service or am I on deeded land? So, so much of it's intermingled and not really fenced to know. So that's kind of what we see a lot out here in the West. You know, I should mention to folks that you host a, a podcast and, and radio show called Working Ranch Radio. So not only are you ranching, but you're talking to a lot of ranchers. I would be interested, you know, back in the Midwest, we hear so much about uh, having to lease some of that government ground and that that can be difficult. And there's problems and lots of hoops to jump through. I'm interested, what are you experiencing or what, the folks that you talk to that are ranching? Is it what we hear or do we hear about just the, the tough instances and, and really it's not that big a deal? I'm interested in your opinion. Well, I, I think there are definitely certain areas of the country um, that probably have a little harder time with some of their permitting and renewals of some of those areas. And a lot of times that's that's in areas where there's a little bit more pressure put on by non-agricultural folks, you know. But for us, I mean, for us here, it, you know, of course, Wyoming's a really, really conservative state and, and you don't see as much of that. But um, it, it's not difficult really our forest service permit through that we that we have here is actually ran through a what an grazing association and that's not a, years ago and there's still a lot of grazing associations around the country where they where it's just a, an allotment of a bunch of forest service ground or BLM, BLM ground or various things and it's just a there's an association that kind of manages that and and so you kind of work in and that a grazing association is kind of that middleman between you and the and the agency whatever that's going to be and they kind of help to to mediate issues and maybe maybe there's a, a an effort together with everybody in the grazing associations that hey we need a water development in this place so if we all work together we can afford to put in a you know a water line and, and a well and those kinds of things and improve grazing and so so that's what uh, you know that's kind of what we deal with here i know there are areas where it, there are some difficulties with that and there's a lot of public pressure on some of those areas uh, but for what we see you know directly with what i see here we don't have a tremendous amount of of issues with renewals or anything like that or, or public public issues back and forth between the ranchers and and maybe recreational users um of some of this area so probably the biggest thing probably one of my biggest frustrations with with some of this land uh the forest service land is that you know, there's there's a lot of there's some improving there's some ways that we can improve some of this country by the way we choose to manage it and graze it. And I feel like sometimes the the federal agencies are still stuck in very traditional mindsets of, well, we need to, you know, here's your allotment and you have 62 cows on this allotment and you can run it run in there for 45 days. Well, that's going to be if we do that, that's going to be overgrazing. And, and so there's, 
and, and we've got an allotment up at the up at the other place with the place where I was raised at where we would really like to see we, we would really like to come in there with sheep and put go in there with about 1200 head of sheep that we could put a grazer or excuse me put a herder with and that we could manage that grazing better and get better utilization instead of the overgrazing the bottoms and undergrazing the the, the high top uh, mountain hilltops that we could put a grazer in there or a, I keep calling grazer a, a a, a, a herder in there and be able to push them sheep around and get better utilization and get and I and I feel improve improve that reduce fire danger imp, uh, get rid of some of the noxious weeds that are in there and do that through through the use of of a different species well the NEPA requires the NEPA study was for cow calf and we can't change that. And so to me, that's that's some of the issues I feel we, uh, you know, is a little bit frustrating for me as a as a rancher. Yeah. You mentioned having a herder there. Uh, do you still see a lot of uh, herders? Because uh, I know sheep out there, it's still a big deal. Yeah. You know, it, it is becoming, I mean, you know, years ago there was there was herders and then uh, there was a little bit of that move away a bit. But some of the big sheep outfits, I mean, uh, down especially like in Wyoming, uh, Wyoming was always had a lot of sheep. Wyoming, Montana, always had a lot of sheep. Uh, we don't see as much in Montana. Uh, southern Wyoming, south uh, western part of the state, it's kind of that red desert area. It is, it's few and far between on on blades of grass out in that country, and they still they still run a lot of sheep in there, and everything's with the herder. And so, of course, it's typically uh, you know somebody like our herders that we had up here with the sheep that we had in here for about three years were out of Peru and uh, so they would come in and, and be with the sheep the whole time and and it was uh, you know it was uh, it was the, several reasons for needing that I mean not only to move those sheep around but also just predator control we have huge issues with predator control and if you don't have herders that you know with the dogs out there and they were pinning the sheep up at night that all all of those elements practically eliminated predation but if you don't have a herder you don't have the dogs or you don't have you know other means you will just the the, the predators will just eat you out uh, wow so tell me what's on the folks minds out there you know i can certainly talk about some issues back my way but i'm always curious what's going on in cattlemen's minds uh, out there in ranch country what are the big issues they're talking about well you, you know the last two years uh, and last year especially was a very, very widespread drought. Now we are still in drought and I'm not going to say that the agriculture country is completely out of drought because I know down in the South Central Plains and Oklahoma and Texas, uh, they're still extremely dry down there. So they are not out of drought. The drought up in the northern part of the country has definitely has definitely been alleviated a little bit there's still some dry spots but coming out of that we saw a huge reduction in cattle numbers and there was a lot of cattle left this country and they because our moisture was so late in coming in this year they we don't have the, the numbers back in so really you, you take the drought added in okay we think we're going to have a decent supply of hay this year at least in this part of the country but then now we look at start looking at the markets and this time of the year right now everybody's wondering okay what are these calf prices going to do for 2022 and all of indications, I mean, just simple economics, not not looking at other factors, but simple economics, economics of supply and demand would indicate that the market is going up. And by all accounts, it is going up. 
the other outlying factor out there that everybody's worried about is, of course, then you got to throw in the political element of everything. And we've got inflation going on. We got the war in Ukraine going on. And I know you've done uh, you've done yourself have done podcasts on Ukraine and what that's, a, you know, some of the effects of what that's going to do just to agriculture in general. So I think those are two outlying factors. Probably inflation uh, is a big deal. Cost of fuel prices. That's not that's widespread. I mean, that's not just ranchers. That's farmers as well. So those are two outlying factors, but we're also seeing for sure that the markets right now is probably what everybody's thinking about. And, and, and all indications are the prices, the market is going up. We've already had uh, a big video sale so far to get the summer started. And I've seen a few prices roll in. In fact, I was just sitting with my brother at a family reunion yet the last week. And I said, you know, 550 pound calves were selling for 203. Um, you know, that's a pretty good price, you know, compared to last year, the last couple of several years. So right now that's, that's what I think, you know, where, where ranchers minds are at is just this, this market. And then, you know, what's going to bang on the, on the, on the side of that, as far as inflation, how's that's going to affect the, these deals. And is that, is these rising prices of fuel going to continue to go up and cut and dampen some of that, you know, some of that profit. Are most of those cattle sales out there now moving to, to video? I mean, I know that some places it's a little uh, a long distance to be able to get some of those calves to, to market. What are you finding out there as far as the marketing? Yeah, there's, you know, it. I think it continues the, the Internet, whether it's Internet or video or satellite sales, you know, I think that continues to grow. But it there's still some element to that that is limited by the, the guys that can really make those sales advantageous to them or the, anybody that can sell a pot load. You know, and that's kind of your, of course, when we're talking pot loads in today's day and age, I'm talking cattle. I'm not talking the green stuff. <laughs> so, but uh, when we can talk, when we can sell a truckload of cattle, uh, a lot load like that, that, that is really advantageous to selling off the ranch. And of course, that's where, that's where the video sales, the internet sales really have their ability. There's still a lot of guys that, you know, that don't have maybe that volume of cattle and the other side even if you are a large ranch and you can sell two three four pot loads of cattle off your place you still have some stragglers that you're going to have to sell and more than likely and those are going to have to go to the sale barn so there's still a lot of still a lot of cattle sold through the sale barns here i mean i wouldn't say that i'm necessarily seeing less cattle sold through the sale barns there's still a lot i mean on sale day in the fall of the year it's not uncommon at all for for you know these sale barns to sell 75 to 10 thousand head of cattle in in a day of calves i mean and that's that's a big day where do you find that most of the calves then out there are moving toward uh you know the finishing process or if they're going to be stalkers and send somewhere where are a lot of them going now now well, I think a lot of that would depend on the weight of those calves. Uh, what now? I'm going to back up and and kind of preface that question with with a trend that I feel I'm starting to see a little bit more and more, and and that is seeing guys starting to move their calving dates back a little bit. You know, it was pretty typical for a lot of folks. I grew up in the same deal. You calved in March, you you know, or we or we lambed in February or or or, or April, and we calved in March, and and of course you do see a little bit more of that early calving in areas that have a higher higher maybe a little bit more farming because the the farming guys are like well let's calve early let's get that done so we can we're not being we're not having to calve while we're in the field 
So that still is probably the case. But guys that are pretty much range uh, guys, you are starting to see a trend of more of those guys moving back to to a later calving date. So back to your question of, okay, so what are these, you know, where are these calves going? So these calves that are going to be lighter. So if I move back to a May calving, that puts my my calves instead of now being, you know, five and a half to six, 600 weight calves in, in, in October or November it's going to put them maybe at four and a half weights. So those kind of calves might head south to, you know, if, if Texas, Oklahoma's had some pretty decent fall moisture, their winter wheat starting to starting to come up a little bit so they can put them calves on some winter wheat for a little bit before they bring and get them up a little bit before they head them, head them somewhere else as a, as a full grazer stalker after that. So that's what we're seeing with some of these light calves. Now, last year I sold my calves. Uh, now I did have probably the heaviest, we were droughted out, but we did have, uh, um, probably the heaviest calves that we've had in a long time. And they sold, we, I sent uh, us the steer calves to a feeder in Iowa for, and I think they, we, they weighed five and a quarter in first part of November and he put them on feed and they won't, uh, they'll go straight. I, he told me they sell straight to Cargill. He's already got them sold to Cargill and they'll go in January. Is coming January. So, I mean, it just varies, I guess, with where, the, and, and so much of that really depends on what's the cost of feed. Of course, we know corn this year is going to be a little bit higher. So if there is some grazing opportunities for these light calves to get to winter wheat, probably where they'll go and then, and then hit, hit corn after they've got to a certain weight. As host of your your working ranch radio show, what are you hearing from folks in ranch country as far as any of the the, the legislation trying to move through the capital as far as you know regulations on packers and, and the buying of those cattle? I think that's a big issue to all cattlemen, but I'm interested, is it as big a deal out there because you're a little bit further removed from the packer, or is it really something that folks talk about because you've got a lot of ranchers out there uh, that that's very important uh, to them? Well, it is a big deal, and, the, and they do talk about it a lot here. And a lot of the industry groups, there are some pretty heavy hitters that are in the decision makings of those groups. Uh, the, and I'm not going to name the groups because I don't want to leave somebody out or offend somebody because I didn't or did name them. But there are some major industry groups out there that have a lot of key decision makers in this area and scattered throughout the country. So the, the, the topics are, are a big deal out here. But I will say that when the prices start going up <laughs> and we're and we know there's there's, you know, maybe the incent or maybe the pressure on those topics loosen a little bit. And so but there's some other dynamics to that. You know, you talk about the legislation that we're looking at as far as. Um, you know, the, the uh, transparency uh, bills that are out there to try to get a little bit more transparency in these in these uh, deals between the packers and some of these feeders. And and, you know, that's still an important thing. And I think there's still guys drive driving that. And, and so so it's th- that's not going to go away. Um, they do talk about it. There is still a lot of concern of how much control the Packers do have in, in this marketing. But the other thing that we're also seeing is we're, we're also seeing a lot of rail space opening up because of smaller, either there's, there's more the mom and pop shops that are opening up or these, you know, maybe 250, 500 cow, thousand cow uh, uh, processing facilities starting to open up. And I think, 
that's going to be an interesting dynamic. I think there's it's it's going to be interesting to see what this looks like in about five years, five to seven years, because we've there are some pretty good sized processing facilities that are saying they're going to you know they're being built. There's you know Nebraska's got one supposedly talk of rapid, which I'm a hundred miles from Rapid City, South Dakota, of the largest processing facility in the country, supposedly looking at being built in Rapid City now there's a lot of water that's got to go under the bridge for all that to happen. So I think, you know, back to answering your question, as far as the topics, I think, you know, that, you know, the last several years, the real big issue has been just the control of, of the, that the cow calf person feels like the Packers have over the market. And as the, as we see more rail space opening up that control kind of widening a little bit, will they still have that control? And I think that's, you know, that's kind of where, um, where our minds are at. Before we wind up, tell folks how they can find uh, your show because you're always talking about uh, ranch topics, I think. You bet. Well, of course, the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's a um, it's part of Working Ranch Magazine. It's a production that they they have, and uh, our show, the Working Ranch uh, Radio Show, is uh, also carried on rural radio, uh, and we are on Saturdays and Sundays at. 12 noon Eastern. I'm always supposed to say the Eastern time, even though it's two hours for me. You're the same way. You're in Central time. So it's like, okay, but it's 12 noon Eastern and it's a one hour show that we have. And really just the, the whole point is for, for me is, as you and I were talking before we, we started uh, having our conversation here on air was, you know, what am I dealing with as a rancher? That's, that's, that's the topics I try to bring to ranchers. I ranch myself uh, and it's not like I'm trying to come, come up with some far fetched ideas just what am i dealing with right now and how is that relevant to ranchers across the country so that's where our show is of course it's on any podcast provider out there as well that they can subscribe to as well justin i appreciate the time good luck to you out there uh, in uh, northeast wyoming thanks you too and good to catch up with you be sure to check out the working ranch podcast and radio show justin always has great guests and info on his program that's it for this week's farming the countryside I appreciate you listening. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook as well. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.